Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 703rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is educating about soil and planetary health with peat-free planting mix. We're talking with Justin Jules Giuliano about earth-friendly potting soil. Jules is an organic farmer and educator with a background in vermicompost and natural farming. He is the lead soil researcher at Rosie Soil, a potting soil company based in Georgia. Prior to joining Rosie, Jules managed an urban farm in Atlanta, studied regenerative agriculture at the Rodale Institute, and won a cannabis cup for his organic cannabis cultivation. In addition to Rosie, Jules manages the TikTok channel at Smoke Your Greens, with over 250,000 followers, where he educates his community about plant, soil, and planetary health. Welcome to the show today, Jules. Are you ready to rock? I'm super excited. Let's go for it. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Totally, yeah. So thanks for having me on the show. I've actually been listening for quite some time, but I do not have a degree in agriculture or farming. So I actually jumped into it back in 2018 when I was living in Chicago. So at the time I was working for a different nonprofit. Long story short, the company ended up closing down. And so I was looking for a new job and was open to a new career change. And so I found a job where I would be teaching K through 12 Chicago students all about agriculture. So we would be working in the garden with them. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You got a job without any prior agricultural experience (laughs) teaching kids? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so the job was a combination of education and then also it was, it was garden education. So I've had that That's I had epic. experience. I didn't have, I had some gardening experience, but essentially uh-huh. they were training us into the role. So I thought I love education. I like being outside. Why not try garden education? Awesome. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. So it was a nonprofit that worked in the South and the West side. And their goal was each school had a school garden and we would be seeding with the kids. We would be planting with them, doing any maintenance, harvesting, and then cooking in the garden with the kids. So they would learn about nutrition, environmentalism, how to grow their own, just how to grow their own food, essentially. And you can see there's stats around how when children are introduced to 
a diverse array of fruits and vegetables at a young age, they're more likely to try more at an older age. Mm -hmm. And so this was a way to, you know, just bring nutrition to the community and also bring self-sufficiency to the community as well. Because lots of the South and the West side of Chicago are food, are uh, food deserts. So this was a great way to combat that and also just get kids to influence their parents. You know, we'd have parents coming in and saying, hey, my kid is now asking for broccoli or (laughs) celery. And so it was, it was amazing to work with children and see them grasp it. And also it just, it's so hands-on, you know, trouble kids that, you know, might not do well in class. Once they're outside in the soil, you know, working with the plants, they were just like locked in and they really got it and they connected with it. So I just, that first year of working in school gardens and just being able to work alongside children and grow plants really like changed my whole perspective on what I want to do and in gardening. So yeah, that was my segue into it. Wow. Yeah. That was just in 2018. Yeah. That was in 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so half my time was doing garden education. The other half was working on an urban farm in Chicago. So we had about, I want to say it was an acre farm on some old rail, like an old rail line, essentially an old, Uh old elevated rail line. And so we grew crops there with with the high school local high schoolers, and it was actually a production farming. So we're growing tomatoes, you know, we're growing onions, we're growing basil, we're growing strawberries, we're growing different fruits. And so they're doing all the work, we're teaching them through it, but they're actually handling the work and learning this themselves. So it was also a means of job training. So, you know, teaching these kids how to, to you know, to do their own work. And then so when they graduate high school, they now have this hands-on skill with agriculture, you know, with learning wow. how to grow your own crops, with whatever it may be. So yeah, that's, now, that's, How did that make you feel when you were teaching those kids? I mean, I can see by your face <laughs> how lit up you are, but I want to know how, you made, how that made you feel. Yeah, it, it felt amazing, honestly. And having been a teacher prior, it was amazing to teach something that I think the kid like, was so hands-on. You know, the kids loved it when they were in the garden. It was just a different level of just like engaging with people and teaching them like skills that were actually useful. So it made me feel great. It made me feel like teaching is very hard, but it made me want to come back and teach consistently and, yeah. you know, be there for the kids and work in the garden and kind of just improve, you know, improve our community. Wow. And then you ended up at Rodale Institute, which is pretty epic as well. That was actually a couple of years further down the line. There was actually a couple, a couple more things in between before I got to the Rodale Institute. Oh, tell me. As well. Yeah. So I spent a year with the nonprofit in Chicago. After that, I wanted to stay in farming, but I, I got a little taste for the soil and wanted more. So I started working for a vermicompost company. And so what we were doing was we were taking lots in the south and the west side, just vacant, empty lots. And we were putting down local compost. So we would collect compost from residences, so like local people in the community. And then we would also go to restaurants and take big, you know, big garbage cans full of their compost. We would dump it over the vacant lot, cover that with composting worms, cover that with burlap sacks, and then let them essentially chew through all the compost and turn this into rich quality soil. And so after over the course of like eight months to a year, we would flip lots from, you know, empty lot full of glass, just nothing good going on there to a lot, you know, full of like healthy quality soil. Um, Wow. Yeah. So that, that got me into vermicomposting. That was a company called Nature's Little Recyclers that were doing vermicomposting. And that worm farmer gave me my first actual handful of, of worms. And I still have those worms to this day. He gave nice. me a handful and I've been just like growing them, handing them out to friends. I've probably handed out like 20 different people worms. And so, you know, once you have a handful, you can, you know, you're good for your life pretty much. But yeah, that got me into vermicomposting and just understanding how the soil works. And, you know, how we can take old food scraps or old agricultural waste and flip this into, you know, a benefit for our community and also for the soil life as well. So yeah, that was, I did that for a year as well. That was a combination of vermicomposting, also kind of kind of being like a, 
like a garbage man because I was picking up compost all the time and just right. fixing it and handling it. So dirty, stinky job, but taught me so much about the microbes um, and their importance to the soil. So yeah, I did that for a year. Following that, I made my segue into the cannabis industry. So cannabis was legalized in Illinois. So the medical cannabis industry came about and they started hiring heavily. When I got hired as a cultivator, people often say, if you can grow a tomato, you can grow cannabis. So that's, yep. what, I, that's what I told them. I, you know, I managed a greenhouse full of tomatoes. I want to try cannabis. And they said, let's go for it. So yeah, at that, this was the, they're one of the largest cannabis companies in the U.S. It was a very, you know, it was a great position to work in. I learned a lot just about growing cannabis and we ended up winning second place for the Cannabis Cup in Illinois in 2020. It was a pretty big deal. Just like local patients are able to vote on, you know, what their favorite strain of weed is. And so we got to grow that personally, give that to our patients and then get that feedback saying, hey, this was helpful for, for these, you know, for these illnesses or for this or that. So that was a big deal. Completely different world from, you know, from veggies to go into cannabis. Really continue to teach me a lot just of how plants grow in the soil and what needs they have um, and how to maintain that. So yeah, I did that for nine months and that was all indoors. This was all indoors in a facility. Right. I was wearing scrubs all day. So it was, it was working with plants, but it was very different from being outside in the soil covered in dirt all the time. I'm not wearing gloves. And so I missed, I missed being outside in the sunshine and I missed, I, I didn't like having such a short growing season in Chicago. Because in November, we would have to work a new job until March to wait for the winter to pass. All right. Um, and so it kind of got old just having to work different jobs. And I was like, I would like to work more consistently and have a longer season. So I moved down to Georgia in 2020. And that's when I began my apprenticeship with the Rodale Institute. So they recently opened the Southeast Organic Center. They're based in Pennsylvania. Right. So they're, up, they're, they're opening up research centers. So they have one in California, one in Iowa and one in Georgia now. And so these are meant to be local research centers that are doing research that is specific to that region. So there's a lot that Rodale knows up in Pennsylvania, but the soils in Pennsylvania are very different than Georgia clay soils. You know, a lot of loamy soil, a lot of that stuff does not apply at all to the South. And we're talking about humidity, we're talking about pests, it's a whole different ball game. And so moving from even Chicago to Georgia, just like blew my mind. It was like, you know, longer growing season, you can grow year round, the pests right. here are ridiculous. The humidity right now is just like so hot outside. So it, it was just like a whole different playing field almost. But I came down to the Rodale, Rodale Institute, apprenticed there for a year. And during that time, we put over 90 acres into organic pasture production. We built a greenhouse that was 30 by 60, just a beautiful large greenhouse with ventilation, working fans, with benches to do research projects in. And then we also started a research trial that's actually going to be a 10-year research project with Clemson. And so we just, I just started, essentially my role with there was laying the foundation for this farm because they had, they had this old farmland, but no one had touched it in years. And so we were kind of just like building the new greenhouse, getting the new pasture into production, just getting everything ready. But my time there taught me so much from, you know, learning how to use a tractor, from learning how to do production on a larger scale after being an urban farmer, mm -hmm. um, just learning, you know, organic regulations, learning about regenerative agriculture and how we can bring, you know, how we can bring animals in in certain ways, or just even like livestock rotation or grazing. So that taught me a whole lot out, like, you know, about Southern rural farming. And I just really love that experience. And so after that, I graduated from Rodale Institute uh, after a year with my apprenticeship, and I was offered a job in Atlanta, Georgia, back in the city, 
to work as an urban farmer. And so I was going to be managing a small scale organic farm. It's about an acre and a half. It's called Patchwork City Farms. It's where I used to work. I don't work there anymore, but it was it was a great job. And there I was the lead farm manager. And so I was managing two other workers and we were just working every weekend. We would have two different farmers markets that we worked at. Mm-hmm. And so that was my like first introduction into like consistent, what is the word I'm looking for? Production? Yeah, just exactly. Production type mm-hmm. farming, you know, from education, you know, to retail, to other stuff, but to production style farming on a small scale in the city was, you know, quite a different level. And that taught me a lot. It was, that's where I've honestly had a lot of failures, a lot of lessons that I learned. And that's how you learn in farming is just, you know, going in for it head first and seeing what happens and learning from your mistakes. But yeah, that's what I did for the last eight months. I did that for eight months. And then the winter time came about and I was actually looking for a new job. I liked the farm work. But I wanted something that had me able to do more experimentation, more work in the soil. I've always been into compost teas, into natural farming, into microorganisms. And so I wanted a role that really got to like study and deep dive into it because the soil is so interesting to me. And Chad found me, who is the founder of Rosie Soil. He found me in January and we went through an interview process. And after hearing from him and hearing about his vision for Rosie Soil and how his goal was to produce a high quality organic potting soil, but also having a business model that is carbon negative and is sinking carbon into the soil and not emitting carbon. I just feel like this is what I want to be doing. And so he found me. And since February, I've been working as the lead soil researcher at Rosie. And my job there is I do multiple things, but a lot of it is experimentation. So we have a greenhouse on a farm that we work at about an hour south of the city. And so I'm doing some experimentation trials with our soil down there around aeration, around drainage, around root growth. And then I'm also, I handle our content creation on TikTok and Instagram. So that goes around educating people around why does carbon sequestration matter? You know, what are greenhouse gases? Why does peat moss matter? You know, why are peatlands vital to their local ecologies? What is biochar? How is it produced? What are its benefits to the soil? So it's been a great combination to be doing soil research, but also soil education. That's kind of like my two pillars of things that I love. And this, this job has combined that and allowed me to really to like bloom into that role. And it's, it's been really just teaching me a lot and growing me a lot. And that's, that's where I'm at now. I love your garden uh, reference there, bloom into that role. <laughs> yeah, truly. So that is an amazing story. And you said you didn't have a degree, mm-hmm. but I say over the past five years, you've gotten a PhD in <laughs> urban farming with all that you've done. Mm. That's just mm-hmm. magical. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. And that's why, that's the way I like to think about it is like, I don't have that the education side, but also on top of all these different experiences, I also have been like, I've read it voraciously, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've read voraciously. I've listened to podcasts, watched YouTube. I've been to seminars, learned from, learned from my farming mentors. So I've been doing, you know, education outside of school as much as possible because, because farmers that have been here before me have so much to teach me and pass on. And so Amen to that. I, look, I look at, you know, relationships as a way to learn from other people. Yeah. yeah it's been very impactful for me. Awesome. Awesome. So why is soil so important? Mm, Soil is incredibly important because it is, I mean, that's one, it's the main source of where our food is coming from. So the vast majority of our food that we're consuming comes from the soil. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge importance Two, the microbes in the soil are very important. So we have, you know, a lot of, a lot of the microbes in the soil are beneficial that are helping against, you know, certain diseases. So there's just a wealth of of knowledge and just like bacteria and microbes in the soil that we don't even know about. I think we know about 1% of soil right now. Like our knowledge, our knowledge in the soil is 
so tiny, but every time I learn about it, it's just like mind blowing. And it's the, the benefits are huge. You know, the revelations are huge. And so I think that I'm intrigued by it because there's so much to know. And it's so important to human health, both what we're eating, but also, you know, the diseases that are being suppressed because of certain bacteria or fungi that I think we need to go all in on the soil. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we're not right now. You know, we're destroying soils at such rapid rates that we're like, we're losing so much knowledge that we don't even, we're not even aware about, you know? So, yeah. so for my soil people on the podcast, I always ask this question might be out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. What are the components of healthy soil? What are the components of healthy soil? That's a great question. So, I mean, soil is made up of, of minerals, water and air. So it needs, it needs to have those three things in it. Healthy soil. So I, I guess this is a question of, are we talking potting soil? Or are we talking like outdoor native soil? When I'm looking at yeah, out, out, outdoor native soil, when I'm looking at outdoor native soil, it, it definitely depends on where I'm at. So, you know, if I'm in Georgia, I have different expectations than when I'm in Chicago, you know, I'm expecting a loamy soil up North whereas I'm expecting a clay soil down South. Mm-hmm. I would say, honestly, the first thing I do when I feel for soil is I smell it. I feel like the smell really tells me a lot. And it, it sounds like that's, you know, Jules, that sounds kind of weird. Now you can really <laughs> smell Healthy soil seriously has a smell to it. The bacteria produce the smell. So I would say smell the way the soil crumbles. So there's certain tests you can do in terms of crumbling the soil in your hand, letting it go, seeing how quickly it falls apart or if it holds shape or its structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say bacterial life. These are things you can't really see with your eye. But like, you know, is there, you know, is there any life in this soil? Because you can have you can have dirt or you can have soil. And a lot of us are ha- have dirt now. It can be brought back to life with the right practices. Mm-hmm. The soil should be healthy. It should be full of life. It's living. Yeah, it should, there should be, honestly, in healthy soil outside, there should be bugs going through it. Not like a lot of bugs, but, you know, natural arthropods that are going to be in your soil. There might be worms, depending on where you're at. It could be a whole host of different things. So that went right down the lane. Mm-hmm. And we haven't previously talked about this, have we? I don't think we have, no. No. My five components of healthy soil are dirt. That's yeah. the minerals. Airspace, sure. water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Yep, there it is. That's it. Nice. That's it. I like Excellent. it. Excellent. <laughs> so who is Pete, and why do we need to get him out of the soil? Who is Pete? Actually, Pete is great. We need him to remain in the soil is the truth. So Pete, Pete comes from peat lands or mm-hmm. peat bogs. And so many people in the U.S. aren't as familiar with peat bogs because we don't have that many in the U.S., but Canada has quite a lot of peat bogs. Mm-hmm. Scotland, Ireland, they actually have huge peat bogs. But essentially, peat peatlands are filled with peat moss. And the thing about peat moss is that it stores a lot of carbon, like a lot, a lot of carbon. And so when it, 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 it exists in this weird world of like wet and dry and decomposing, peat bogs are a whole different world. It's, it's kind of almost hard to explain, but they're very vital. And mm-hmm. so when we are harvesting this peat moss for our potting soil, it's releasing CO2. It's releasing that stored carbon. And so essentially, you know, we're using potting soils to do gardening that are harmful to the earth, which sounds almost like, you know, ironic. It's like, I'm gardening, I'm doing this good thing, but it's harmful to the earth. It doesn't make sense. So peatlands only make up 3% of the world, but they store a third of all land-based carbon. Which is wow. More, which is more than the rainforest combined. It's the largest land-based carbon sink. So larger than rainforest, larger than all of that. The ocean is the number one carbon sink if we're talking about land and water, but mm-hmm. if we're talking just land, it's, it's peat. And so they're, they're vitally important. I want to say in Scotland and Ireland, over 85% of their peat has been used up 
peat is also used for burning you know can be used for many different like i think in i want to say in scotland ireland it's used for heat like for heating essentially because it just lights very well right um, and so it can be it can be dried and then used for you know used for that and so unfortunately peat is i would say as for potting soil peat works decently well but it matters much more to the soil than it does to us and so i my my view is leave peat in the ground let it be there's much better alternatives that are both good for the planet and good for plants. And so that's, you know, that's where Rosie comes in. We don't need to be using peat. We can find alternatives that are not releasing lots and lots of carbon back into the atmosphere. There's no need for that. So what kind of alternatives are there? What do you use in your products? Yeah, so we, so I would say the next alternative that people fall into typically is coconut coir, which is uh -huh. from you know, the husks of coconuts. Those are actually, that's a decent medium. We've avoided using coconut coir actually just because most of it is mined from either Mexico or Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. And so we're calculating also like emissions of transportation as well. So we're considering yep. where is this coming from? How is that affecting our product? And so we actually decided to shift beyond coconut coir to biochar. And there, there are quite a few studies online that speak of biochar's ability to replace peat as a soil substrate for potting mixes. And so we've gone all in with that. We have a science team of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm a little baffled here. Yeah. And I just need a little bit of an explanation. Sure. You are replacing biochar with cocoa peat and peat moss. Is there that volume? So when, you, when we have cocoa peat, you know, it's a lot of volume in the yeah. soil. Mm -hmm. do, do, do we have that same volume in biochar? Yeah, so that's the, that's the main thing. So biochar can have different volumes like that. A lot of it goes down to the production. So mm -hmm. the production and the manufacturing completely will change your outcome of the biochar. But I, I would say the biggest, the nicest thing about PMOS is that it gives you kind of that loose, airy soil. Like yep. you know, it spreads it out. And so I wouldn't say biochar acts the same way, but it works as a substrate in that it, it encourages root growth. Um, it encourages mm -hmm. the growth of uh, microorganisms and it can hold nutrients as well. And so in that way, it can act as a substrate instead of peat moss. Now we're making up for that airiness and the lightness of peat moss by adding in other aeration amendments. And so that's what I'm working through now is adding new aeration so that we have better drainage, better aeration, and ensure that the plant roots are, you know, receiving top-notch care when they're in the soil. Great. For people that haven't listened to some of our biochar podcasts in, in the past, what is biochar? Great question. So biochar... I like to say it's a soil amendment and it is made, it is, it is made from agricultural waste. So you can take old corn stalks, you can take old okra stalks, anything that's woody or carbonaceous, and you're heating it up to a very high temperature with little to, to no oxygen in a process called pyrolysis. And essentially what pyrolysis is doing is it's storing the carbon in the biochar and then it's releasing all the moisture and all the toxic, you know, any other impurities that are in the agricultural waste. So we're sinking carbon into this, into this piece of biochar and not letting it escape into the atmosphere. And then we're using that in our soil. And so when you use it in your soil, you know what loves carbon? Microbes. So yep. it's, just a, it's just a living storehouse for microorganisms. It also stores nutrients um, and it also encourages plant growth. And so from someone, you know, from the agricultural, you know, from the organic agriculture side, that is so beneficial for a soil. And, you know, it can be made anywhere. You know, you can make biochar from your agricultural waste down the street, as opposed mm -hmm. to have to get peat moss from Canada or Ireland and use that. And so, yeah, that's, that's the biggest benefit is that it's, 
is using old waste and sinking carbon at the same time. So you're not actually burning it. You said heating it up. You didn't say burn. Yeah, so it's 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 a process called pyrolysis. It needs to be heated. It's I want to say it's between 400 and 800 degrees for pyrolysis. It needs to be in a limited to low oxygen environment. So it's very specific. You don't want to create an ash. You want to create a char. And it's a very specific type of burning and a very specific amount of time and a process that it's done. And this is part of it is that you can make your own biochar, but the production of it differs widely. And that will that will change your end product. And so we focused on dialing in that production process so that we have the best end product possible. But yeah, it can I've made biochar at home before. You can make it at home. You know, a lot of a lot of natural farmers are using biochar themselves and making it themselves. So it's well, and it's my understanding that one of the interesting things about biochar is how much how porous it is so the microbes have a lot of place to hang out. Exactly. Yeah. So biochar just has so much surface area and so much porosity that it's it's creating like a, a permanent long lasting home for these microbes. It also degrades very slowly. So it's going to be in your soil for a while. I like to think of it as like permanent housing for microbes. So it's not going to go away. It's going to be there for a while. It's storing our carbon, it's storing nutrients, and then it's slowly releasing them back into the soil as the plants need them. Which is huge. It almost works like an organic slow-release fertilizer with microbes. Wow. So you sound like you've done a lot of research and have a lot of understanding about soil. And you're doing soil consulting? I am doing soil consulting, yeah. So I would say I do have a lot of experience. A lot of it comes through failure. I'm just trying again and experimenting. Right. But yeah, that's how I've learned. And so, yeah, I do soil consulting, whether that's for local farms, whether that's for a backyard garden, for a hobbyist, whatever it may be. I love to help people set up vermicompost, love to help them set up raised garden beds, whatever it may be. I just try and, you know, help people get into gardening however they can. So if I wanted some soil consulting here at my space, what do we, what do we do? Uh, so you can contact me on my email. So I have an email. I also have, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. It's all the same handle. Just smoke your greens. S-M-O-K-E-Y-R. G-R-E-E-N-S. And inside all these profiles, you can click on the link in the bio and that'll bring up my email and different ways to contact me. And that's the best way is just to shoot me an email and say, hey, I'm looking for consulting and we can talk from there. I have a sliding scale. I want everyone to get into this who wants to get into it. Mm -hmm. So there's no, it's not going to be a high cost. It's not going to be prohibitive. It's, it's available for people who want it. Great. So from soil consulting to working at Rosie and tell us about the soils at Rosie and how we find them. And yeah. So, yeah, like I was talking about our, our soil at Rosie, we like to say it's earth positive, it's carbon negative, and it's full of beneficial biology. So our current indoor potting mix, we only have one mix at the moment, is made up of three ingredients. It's made up of our biochar, made up of a vegan compost, which means that there's no animal products in the processing of the compost, mm -hmm. um, and then our root boosting mycorrhizal fungi. So three very simple ingredients, but just three ingredients that are vital for organic plant growth. And this is currently for our indoor mix. My job as the lead soil researcher is to start formulating new mixes. So we're working on making a cacti mix eventually, a tropical mix, eventually an outdoor raised bed mix. At the moment, it's an indoor houseplant mix, and we're, we're moving on top of that. For my soil people out there, it's a great base. So you could use it as a base, amend it yourself, and then grow a tomato in it or grow a cacti in it. It's a, it's a quality, it's quality ingredient. You can find us at rosysoil.com, R-O-S-Y-S-O-I-L.com but we're producing biochar-based, organic, high-quality potting soils and kind of just trying to bring 
kind of trying to influence the industry towards better inputs for the soil and for the earth mm -hmm. and trying to, yeah, just, just love on gardening however we can. Nice. Well, congratulations on, on your work of the past five or six years and working with rosy soils. It's, uh, I've said it many times before, the most important thing that we can be doing right now is mm -hmm. building healthy soil because healthy yep. soil grows healthy, nutritious plants. Mm. Yep, that's the truth. You used, you used a word, so biochar, compost, and you, use a, you, you have a third ingredient that's mm. a really important ingredient called mycorrhizae. Can you tell our listeners what that is and why it's important? Yeah, so mycorrhizal fungi are hugely important. Mycorrhizal fungi have relationships with over 80% of all land-based plants in the world. Oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, just, just 80%. So not, you know, not a large population, but they exist naturally in the soil, and their role is to work with the plant roots to help them draw out more nutrients and to get more moisture as well. And so these mycorrhizal fungi, you can see them and you can see the, the hyphae in the soil around the roots. And these hyphae are going into the root, taking the sugars that the plants are giving to the, essentially sugars are given to the microbes and the microbes are exchanging you know, nutrients and water as well. So it's a beneficial relationship both for the fungi and for the trees. And so we're using that in our potting mix just to help grow the biggest, healthiest, happiest plants. One of the things that I've run for 20 three years now in Phoenix is a fruit tree education program. And part of planting a tree is adding two ounces of mycorrhizal fungal in the planting area when you're planting for that reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're hugely important. Those, those spores, adding them to the roots, they'll, they'll germinate and then they'll just have all these benefits for your, your plants in the soil. And they also help they also help multiple trees in a drought. You know, mycorrhizal fungi can extend all under the soil and just help many trees get, you know, survive a drought with nutrients, with water, whatever's necessary. So yeah. it's very, very community focused from the, from the fungi. And I love that. Right. Nice, nice, nice. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, mm. how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. Mm. That's a great question. So last year, when I was working as the farm manager at the uh, local farm in Atlanta, mm -hmm. we had, I want to say we had 300 dill plants that needed to go in. So we had, a, we had a, an herb garden going and we had 300 dill plants that came in and they came from the nursery and I was looking at them and I, I was like, it looks a little bit too early to put these in. They don't look like they're fully up yet. They look a little wonky. It's very hot. It's also July and it's hundred degrees outside, hundred percent humidity, but I was told to put them in. So I, Despite my gut feeling, I installed mm. these plants and the next day they were dead, just all of them, just mm. gone. And that's a lot of products. It also costs a lot of money for, you know, small scale urban farm, you know, the margins are tight. And so losing stuff like that or losing even your time having to get new plants, that's that's time lost, which can be money lost at a market. Yep. That that was a huge failure. Like, you know, I, I we lost a lot of plants. I didn't trust my gut and I, you know, I just went forward with with the decision rather than trusting myself. And what I learned from it is that it happens. I, I went to my farmer and was very distraught about it. And she was like, this happens. This is part of farming. You're going to fail. You're probably going to fail again next week. And so what we can do now is adjust and adapt to it and do better. Yep. And next time, trust your gut as well. And so that has been a constant lesson through farming is that I'm going to fail. And it's, it's not saying it in a, like, I'm not trying to make it in a way that like it's bound to happen, 
but like, it's going to happen, learn from it, you know, don't run from it, but learn from it. And so that has been a continual lesson in farming is just be patient, learn what I can and adapt to my mistakes. And yeah, that was probably one of the biggest failures. <laughs> nice. Well, and that's the, you know, this is the whole reason I asked this question. I had a huge failure, huge failure in 2004 mm-hmm. in, in a farming business. And what I learned was so much about all right, I didn't really want to be doing that business. Yep. And this is what I would do next time. Yeah. So this is why I asked this question. Hmm, what, what, do you, what do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success? Honestly, I, I think there's, there's a lot of possible answers for this. I think my segue into farming, though, is I consider my biggest success because I had no background in it, no understanding of it. I love learning new things, but it's hard It's hard to be bad at something initially. You know, it's very difficult to be bad at something over and over and over and over and over for years. And so people see me now and they're like, wow, you're doing so research, you know, you worked your way up to this. But there were so many failures on the way to this. And even in this job now, I've made, you know, quite a few failures as Chad, where it's just like, I'm still learning and I'm always going to be learning. But I think my decision to switch into farming and to stick with it and to continue to just love learning and to love educating others has just been so fruitful for me. And I love where I'm at now. Excellent. And what drives you? What drives me? I think the sunshine drives me. I love being outside. And and the heat, just feeling like the sun on my body, the sunshine rays, whether it's through the trees in the forest or from the greenhouses, I'm like just burning up. I love the feel of the heat. I love being outside. I love nature and just learning. And like, you know, there's so much abundance outside, so much to learn about, so many local plants to ID and, you know, learn their benefits and their, and their uses and how they benefit the soil and how they benefit human health. And so, yeah, it's, it's what drives me is a love for the sun and a love for education and learning too. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Mm, This is a good one. I would say, again, there's so many good answers for this. I would say one of my favorite ones. I have, I have it right here, actually. Team with Microbes. Uh, oh, yes. This one I read probably four or five years ago. Still read it all the time. Really just very digestible book on, you know, why microbes matter, why organic farming matters, how to do it simply, how to take out, you know, synthetic nutrients from your soil. And so, yeah, it's just taught me so much. And it's just he, he puts it in a way that's so understandable. And I love it. And so I'd recommend that for people that want to get into learning more about the soil and, the, and its health. You are so funny. <laughs> you just you just introduced that book. What's it called? Teaming with Microbes. It's called Teaming with Microbes. And you said it's so digestible. <laughs> I love that. That was totally accidental, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've had several references like that throughout the go right back to gardening. I'm glad. I can't even help it. It's just natural. Right? And what final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? (sighs) What final piece of advice? This is for myself too, is just keep going. Just keep going. And and that that can be a reference to many things. But yeah, when the failures come, keep going. You know, when you've messed up, keep going. And that's that's where the growth happens. That's where the breakthroughs happen. And if it were simple and easy every time, it would, you know, it wouldn't be fun. And so yeah, I think the, the message is learn how to adapt, be like water, and just keep doing what you know. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the, on the show today, Jules. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? So if you want to find my personal stuff, like I said, Instagram or TikTok, you can find me at Smoke Your Greens, like I talked about previously, S-M-O-K-E, 
Y-R-G-R-E-E-N-S. You can also find my email there for consulting. If you want to find my the soil that I'm working on, that's just www.rosysoil.com. And we can get you some awesome root-boosting mycorrhizal fungi soil. So Nice. Yeah. And that's R-O-S-Y soil.com. Yep, R-O-S-Y, Rosie. I, I got a, a, a question for you here, and I know we're supposed to wrap now, but yeah. I'm curious about TikTok. Mm. You know, I've watched some, and Janice loves TikTok. For me, it's just one more thing that I, my brain just doesn't have, my 60-year-old brain just doesn't have the space for. Sure. But tell me about your TikTok channel and, mm. and you know, how many people you have listening and what's it about? Yeah, so I started TikTok in... January of 2021. So it's only been about a year and a half. And it was mostly just a medium to share what I was learning. So at the time I was living out in the country in Georgia and there was just, I had a forest in my backyard and there were so many plants that I was learning about, so many things I was foraging for, so many plants that I was just, you know, you know, trying to propagate that I wanted to share with other people. I think, I think mm-hmm. this is just an extension of education is like, I'm learning this. I want to pass it on. But yeah, it's just been a great medium for community educating other folks for learning and for sharing plant knowledge and it's it started for fun and the next thing i know i'm at 260,000 followers so yeah it's really just it's really just like uh nothing more than just like enjoying what i'm learning and wanting to share that with others uh-huh. that's really what it is mm-hmm. wow yeah well congratulations man i i mean if this is okay for me to say i'm really proud of you thank you i appreciate the, the reason i do this podcast is to share inspiring stories and i'm inspired mm. Thank you. I'm inspired. Yeah, thank you. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Rosie Soil. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.